Hello everyone, welcome to the Steve Hilton Show. We have got a newly announced Senate candidate, candidate for US Senate joining us today. Guess who that is? It's Eric Early, you know him, he ran before in California statewide for Attorney General, he's been on the show before. He's just announced his candidacy for the US Senate seat and that whole thing has got very interesting um, in terms of Dianne Feinstein and the Democrats trying to get rid of her and there's a lot of shenanigans going on. So I'm sure Eric will have lots to say about that as will our friend Jen Horn, who is here before Eric to tee it, tee it all up. Tell us what's going on. Um, Jen, of course, uh, you can hear her in Los Angeles and Southern California, AM870, the, the morning answer. Um, it's been a while, Jen. I don't know. I've know. been away on vacation. It, it feels like I haven't seen you for ages. I know. It's so nice to be back together again. We we missed you not only on our show on The Morning Answer, but I miss being here with you. The, exactly. Gosh, it's like our well, weekly routine. I know. Exactly. It's very it's very sad when, when that well, is broken. But here we are. So, look, there's there's a lot going on. We'll talk about Eric Early and that and that Senate race in a bit, because, as I said, it's not just, you know, it's, it's interesting. We've got a new candidate, Republican candidate within, in Eric Early. But what's going on, on the Democrat side is just hilarious. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is lots to get into there. But there's all these other stories. I mean, there's never a shortage. By the never. way, I just want to say something. To, 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 to Again, I always say, because you never know when people are going to be listening to this. Uh, so we are taping this on Wednesday, um, Wednesday in the middle of the week. And on, for my Sunday show on Fox, I've got something in the works. It may not be ready because there's, you know, there's there, these things take a little bit of time. But I just had this idea this morning based on the first topic that we are going to discuss, you and I, Jen, which is this, this, this the latest madness, which is the utilities in California, this plan to charge people by their income rather mm -hmm. than on what they use. So we'll talk about that in a second. But to me, it's just such a brilliant example of why the country needs to watch out uh, for what what happens in California, because all these crazy things, these far left extremist things start here and then they sort of cre creep across the country. And Gavin Newsom calls it leadership. But we, <laughs> of course, everyone calls it a nightmare. Anyway, there's a new there's a whole new segment we're going to do on the show. And it, like what I've asked for is like one of those kind of animations, like a horror theme. Um, and, and, and so I don't know what they're going to come up with. The graphics department we will wait and see if it's ready for Sunday. And the, and the sort of title is It Came From California. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's like because there's so I mean, almost every week there's something. Yeah. And the country needs to pay attention because it starts here. And then so this thing, let's get into it. This utilities move. I This was in the category of. When I first heard it, I thought, that's a joke. Uh -huh. that, you can't be serious. This is like some, you know, out there, you know, like really extreme state legislator has proposed this. This is like a real proposal. This is. And it's like real socialism is what it is. It's like real communist ideas, right? You get to pay off of what you earn. That's what your, your power bill will start to look like. And it's all these power companies that got together, not because they thought it would be fun to reduce their rates. But, Steve, this is all, of course hatched in the state legislature where the legislature right. said, well, we have to lower costs for power. And look, I'm all about lowering costs, but how we do it, um, I think the that's the idea. You have to figure out how you do it, right? Make it real cost cutting, not just putting together a plan that says, well, if you earn $130,000 a year, your power will cost X, Y, Z. If you earn $40,000 a year, I mean, it's it's unbelievably silly. But I mean, it's but I, I, I'm sort of sputtering because I, I, I can't believe. OK, first of all, how, how is it going to be done? 
So are they going to get IRS data or what's the plan here? Do you know? I know. That's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if you have to just disclose your income because then you have a whole lot of people trying to undercook what they make. Could be IRS documents. And then I would have to imagine if that's legal for a power company before yeah. they give you service to ask for those documents. There's that. And, and I think there's also another element here. It's the base of the payment so they're going to still charge you for the watts and stuff that you use. So this is just your base payment. Because I started thinking, gosh, if I'm in like a low lower income area or if my income is, let's say, $40,000 a year, I just start like opening up my power supplies to all the rich people to come and plug everything they want and <laughs> start so my own crazy. business, right? <laughs> but it's they just do, amazing. Yeah, it's they do charge you up after your base. Then they charge you a certain amount for the amount that you use but it's just so this is like like a wealth surcharge for electricity or something but of course their definition of wealth as it always is is like just normal regular people you know and that, that's what yeah. it's going to end up being and i also wonder steve if you look through the story you'll see that the the base rates are incredibly low now i have a two-bedroom two-bathroom home in the san fernando valley i live there with my cat now I don't use, I don't think I'm a tremendous user of tons of, of electricity and power, but I got news for you. My bill is not like $35 a month, which is like, that's one of the higher levels. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're looking at, at charges of $20, $30, $40 a month based on your income in this proposal. And then you have the wattage charge on top of it. But whose power bill is like that? My power bill is hundreds and hundreds of dollars. My LEDWP bill can be $800, $1,100, $1,200 a month based on, you know, based on where, what time of the year it is. And I feel like I'm lucky. My dad's bill is $2,000, $2,500. I mean, you, where are they getting these numbers and how much per usage? Because I want to sign up for this program. I'm laughing at it with you. But maybe it'll be benefit all of us if they're really going to charge us 35 bucks, please. It's just, but the whole thing is just so laughable. The other thing I just want to point out, I mean, you're so right to say, you know, why, why don't they actually work on reducing costs? And the reason that the costs are so high is because of all the mandates that are put on yeah. them by the politicians in pursuit of the climate extremism. And we always say, you know, we care about the environment. We want to protect the environment. Of course we do. We, we, but we don't want this real extreme kind of zealotry. And that's what it's about. And, and I just will direct people to an episode we just put out recently with Edward Ring, who was the founder of the Cal California Policy Center. Uh -huh. We had a great conversation about all these things. And I'm afraid I can't remember. I'm going to go and look it up and put it out on Twitter because it's such an important, th important number, actually. He was talking about the difference in cost between uh, between generating electricity from natural gas yeah. versus renewable and it's an it's it's like a hundred times more expensive per kilowatt hour or whatever it is. you know i think it's the like eight versus 800 or that sort of scale uh -huh. you know don't hold me to that because because i haven't listened to that episode for a while but it was really striking and 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 it's a very interesting episode just generally in all of this and that's the point they're actually and and here's the ludicrous situation that we're in right they have mandated with all their different kinds of regulations for the utilities to get the, to generate from wind and solar, uh -huh. which of course is unreliable, as we know, as sure. anyone can tell you. And they, we don't have the battery capacity to store it. So it can't meet peak demand. So what they're now doing is telling the utilities to, to bring back the gas-powered um, power plants, right, to kind of fire them up again, but only for the kind of gaps 
Right. When you've got and and instead of what they're really good at, which is the base load power that goes the whole time, is like turn them on and off again, which is incredibly expensive. It's like three times more expensive to do that. So it's just so crazy. Every time you you look into the energy policy, yeah, it, amongst all the craziness. It's not as kind of visceral, I suppose, as the crime policy. We, we'll get to that in a second, which is like really hits you li- literally if you're assaulted. But you know, there's something really kind of, you know, visceral about the crime madness. But the energy stuff is so crazy because it doesn't even make sense on its own terms. Well, this is the it, problem. It's just, it, it's just so like they are literally now going back and saying, let's have, let bring back the natural gas because our renewables thing doesn't work, and that makes it even more expensive. What's really interesting, and, you know, I'm no Hunter Biden. I'm not an energy expert um, like he is. <laughs> but, I mean, what you're saying is is absolutely true, Steve. You're saying that the people who are running this not only are putting together these sliding scales of power, which is just, uh, excuse me, payments, which is just ridiculous, but they don't know how to run the state. And we've seen that. Yes. There is no reason that California should turn off our power when it gets windy outside or when it gets hot and dry. We should be doing better than that. But it tells you who's running things. And that is that they're using gas powered, which is the most reliable as a, a, as the alternative instead of as the main. And then trying to relieve stress from the main with all of these other alternate sources of power. You know, I had a listener to our, our morning answer show call in. I think it was last Friday. And she said, I was trying to do the right thing. She said, my husband and I needed to buy cars. She said, we had a little extra money. We thought we would buy. I think one of them got a Tesla, but they got electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. She said that her power bill now, and they have solar, is $11,000 every time she gets a bill. $11,000. And they have solar. So- Think about this. They're pushing you towards solar. They're pushing us towards electric vehicles or pushing us in all these directions. But clearly everything is not ready to go. Everything is not ready no. to take on the brunt of what they're asking us to do. And it would really help. You know, I don't want to come in and tell anybody how to run their business. But you wonder where all of the money goes and why these companies can't stay whole. Um, a lot of times, even though there's no competition, how many times do you see commercials for Southern California Edison or PG&E? And you see them during prime time on yes. big but game how, days. Are we doing this great thing for the community or whatever? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe we would actually be paying less if they stop spending in a place where they don't have to win our competition. We have no choice. And if we cut some of these green regulations or at least got someone in there with an understanding that the answer isn't always green, the answer is Let's build on this new green technology so that we yes. can make it a permanent part of our infrastructure. Exactly. I mean, the way I've put it in the past is that instead of what they seem to be doing, which is green energy uh-huh. at any or renew it at any cost, we need reliable, affordable energy that's right. as green as possible. That's what exactly. we should. That's the sort of strategy they should be following. And the other thing, I just before we move on, just want to make a point about this whole thing of you know the pay pay, pay by what you earn <laughs> for your utility. It's like. So, okay, the concept is the rich should pay more, whatever. The rich already pay more of in course. taxes. We have an incredibly aggressively redistributive tax system where you have, what is it? I think, you know, for, for half the taxes in California, pretty much 50% paid by the top 1%. I think that's the that's the figure. Um, and 
and by the way, that's unstable because a lot of that is is through is through capital gains, which goes up and down with the stock market, which is why mm-hmm. we lurch from surplus to deficit. So the whole well, that's all the mess as it is. But the idea that we don't already, you know, take from people based on their income is, is ludicrous. Of course, we do that through the tax system. So I mean, you know, if they want to do this, fine. Well, I mean, but what's the next thing, right? Your groceries. I know. Are going to be charged based on what you earn. You're going to pay okay. more for oranges than I will than someone else. Does. I, I mean, it's just it's, it's so divisive apart from anything else. And then the thing is that, and, and I said, okay, fine, do that, but then eliminate all the taxes. Yeah. You know, but you can't do it on both ends, squeezing on both ends. It's so ridiculous. Well, and it's the reason why California is suffering a population crisis. This is yeah. why the middle class, pardon the orange juice pun, is being squeezed out. Uh, the rich may say, you know That's what, we'll right. stay here. We like our oceanfront property. It's worth it. Yeah. We can afford to pay for we it. We can afford it. And the poor are getting all the benefits. So what happens? The middle class gets squeezed out. And when we yes. talk about middle class, these are people who are earning upwards of a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars even per year because the middle class in California is so broad because it is so expensive to live here. Exactly. Well, now let's move on to what they're doing with all the money they're taking <laughs> from us because you've been looking into the new budget that's been put out by Karen Bass, the new mayor of LA. Yeah, she gave her um, her state of the city address on Monday and on Tuesday she released the budget for Los Angeles. And look, I am not a Karen Bass fan, Steve. You probably know this, but she's only been in office, what, 120 plus days. So all of these things that she talked about in her state of the city, it's I, I care more about where she's going than talking about anything because she doesn't have a whole lot to crow about yet other than settling the union strike in the schools, which was the bus drivers and the cafeteria workers. And she says she settled that. She took credit for it, which is a little bit laughable. But, you know, they also paid out a lot of money to settle the strike. Yeah, so, by the way, very easy to settle something if you just say, yeah, yeah I'll give you everything you want. Anything you want, here <laughs> you, you know. go. Okay, you'll come back to work. That's a win for me. You know, not quite. But she did release in her budget. I thought this was interesting because we always talk about, I mean, the two greatest problems in California, I think you'd probably add third in there is cost of living, but you'd say crime and homelessness. Yeah. And the homeless problem is obviously huge for her. She started the state of emergency, even though people like Sheriff Alex Villanueva had called for it for a couple of years. They wouldn't let him do it. But she wanted the state of emergency and she got it. So our budget in Los Angeles for the 23-24 fiscal year is about $13 billion. 10% of that is going to be spent on trying to go after the homeless problem. And so I thought, Wow, you're talking about billions of dollars going into a problem that's not benefiting probably 10% of the population of Los Angeles, right? It's going strictly into, I mean, there's a lot of homeless people, but I don't think it's quite 10% of the population yet. No, nothing like. So I went in and I said, we passed this measure, Triple H. Remember, not if you're wrestling fans, not Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but we (laughs) did county measure HHH, which was an increase to the Los Angeles sales tax, which was supposed to bring housing to the homeless. It was going to fix the problems. And people in L.A., God love them, we are bleeding hearts. If somebody says we need to spend money and if it's for a park or a teacher or the homeless, we're going to vote on that. And so our sales tax keeps going up and up. So I kind of dove in to where we are with with Measure Triple H. And this is unbelievable, Steve. They promised this was, I think, six or seven years ago that we did this. They promised 10,000 units. They have so far built 8,000 of those units. But only 1,000 of them are actually inhabitable. What? 
Uh-huh. <laughs> no, okay. So I was Karen, eight. That, that's an amazing success record for California. For that's California. incredible. Yeah. Well, and he, so the reason I checked that out is because Karen Bass in her State of the City address said that she had been to so many ribbon cuttings for all of these new homes and these new dwellings. And I said, really? Mm-hmm. Because I had heard that everything was kind of stalling out, especially with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So to find out that they're sending people like Karen Bass with the big goofy scissors to cut ribbons <laughs> makes perfect sense. They probably get one built and then they say, well, we have to finish the rest. Only a thousand of the 10,000 are actually livable at the moment. And depending on the numbers that you look at, because they're taking it at different scopes. If you look at the 1000 units based on the amount of money that was spent, each of these units so far is costing the city around $800,000 to build. Just... Now, I'm on some real estate sites in Los Angeles because I always keep my eyes open. I got notified, no joke, a couple of days ago about a two-bedroom, two-bath townhouse in Chatsworth, which is a San Fernando Valley. Not in the greatest area, busy street, but the townhouse looked pretty dang cute to me. And it was $449,000. So you're telling me that this city cannot build a tiny house, which is like a storage shed for less than $800,000? Now, if you bring in some of the other uninhabitable units, the cost goes down to $600,000, but the result is still the same. That's too much freaking money. <laughs> like, go to just go amazing. to Tractor Supply and buy a storage shed and make that a tiny house. I mean, my God, it could. it's that they're sending all of the money that people give these candidates to get elected. All of this is not being built by people who actually know how to build. They're being given to non-governmental organizations. That's right. And... They're sitting around going, oh, this is a payday. Yeah, maybe I'll throw a nail in here or there. But they're not in any rush to fix the problem. And also, uh, I mean, there's so much wrong with this. I mean, first, so that's like a thousand homes in six years or whatever. And they, right. And, and, and they cost 800,000 each. I mean, it's just mind boggling, the, the total incompetence. And I'm sure there must be corruption in there as well and so on. Um, because it's, because it's just so inexplicable. It's a total disaster. And the I fact mean, that they crow about, well, we've cut oh a lot of God. ribbons. Yeah, you've cut ribbons, but who's living in these houses? Oh, like you can think of the, the, the big goofy. <laughs> I know, you know what I'm right. talking That's about. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All for oh the photo op. And, uh, you know, and not also even... they keep adding to it because now we've got the mansion tax. That's the latest, Of course. But then we talked to Susan Shelley about that. The, mon- the money from the mansion tax goes straight back to the non-profit organizations that promoted the ballot initiative. Yes. Like they literally get the money back. It is they the were the biggest... ones who put it on the ballot. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. California is the biggest money laundering state. I mean, all they do is throw money from one person to the next. And, you know, the average Joe is like all of us, Steve. These are We're the ones that pay for this so they can just pass money around to their friends. And, you know, we haven't even dived into the serious part of the issue, which is that leftists in the state of California really believe that housing is going to fix the homeless problem when everyone knows. It's, nothing, it's totally separate. Exactly. Housing is a small piece of that. And most of it until you get serious, no matter how much you spend on t- tiny homes is going to benefit anybody unless they don't get serious about mental health and drug of addiction. Of course, and drug addiction. And by the way, exactly, just before we leave this topic, two points there. First of all, this all these houses are basically just going to end up, like, and as I saw for myself when I were around in Venice with Soledad Asu and a, a, a few, some people down there, mm-hmm. we made a video about it. It's basically going, these, these, these uh, you know, 800,000 dollar homes are going to be like second homes I know for, for, because actually what happens is because of the housing first requirement in SB 1380 as I now know it is um, you know from whenever it was 2016 uh-huh. the money can't be spent on anything that involves abstinence so they get the home but then they're back on the streets doing because they're addicted to drugs of course. Be, I, even if they weren't addicted when they 
entered the state of being homeless, they soon are because the the criminal gangs prey on the drug dealers get everyone addicted. I mean, That's the whole right. thing is just a joke. So anyway, the other point, just on housing, you're completely correct. That's why you, you don't solve the drug addiction and mental health problem. You never solve the homelessness problem. And anyway, housing is just a massive issue in its own right. The fact that you, that you can't find affordable, yeah. you know, going back to your point about the middle class, you know, that it's so hard to get on the housing ladder. That's a huge issue as well. But that's not going to solve the homeless problem. That needs to be addressed separately as an issue in its own right. Oh, it's so frustrating. It this is stuff. so frustrating. Um, so let's talk about the, the, I, the thing I noticed which was Karen Bass made some pledge about hiring police officers. But then uh -huh. we just sudden, suddenly again reminded of the crime situation, something going on in Compton and people okay. fighting back. But I was away, so I didn't really follow this. Yeah. So and just on that on that bit with Karen Bass, she said that she wants to hire more LAPD officers. She's going to make the the application process easier. And she's going to try to free up money to give $15,000 signing bonus incentives. Here's the thing, ding dongs. You don't have to do that if you would have actually supported the police exactly. the last three years. The fact that everybody's leaving is they were forced to get a, a vaccine. They were not given the support by the LAPD, by Chief Moore, when they were trying to fight crime and do their jobs during the 2020 riots and protests. I mean, if you had just supported the police, we wouldn't be dealing with this. But now we have to come up with you know, lowering standards, which is not going to help anybody. We should try to increase standards when we hire a police officer, get the best of the best, and then try to come up with money for signing bonuses. It's it's just another disaster created by the leftists running the state of California. So in Compton, much like Chicago over the weekend, Chicago had a huge street takeover. There are these viral things that are happening, mm -hmm. and they happen all, the, all in Los Angeles. A lot of times they don't even get attention, where entire streets are taken over and mm -hmm. they bring their cars and they race and there are people that gather together and these are not the best and brightest of America. <laughs> and you have, believe it or not, I know that you like to go to a street takeover, Steve, so do I, but not all of them <laughs> are like men's a gathering. So you bring in a lot of these people who are racing their cars and who are troublemakers and they break into stores and they vandalize. And this weekend in Compton, this Arco gas station, the poor man that was working it, had to like cower in the back room while hundreds of people went into a store, stole everything that you can yeah. think of off the shelves, broke things, destroyed things. They went into a Mexican restaurant in the area and several other businesses and destroyed these places. Now, there was a city council meeting in Compton on Tuesday of this week that we're recording. And the mayor finally stood up and said, we can't do this anymore. Our community is suffering. People are getting hurt. Businesses are just boarding up because they're afraid of this stuff. And uh, they brought in their uh, their lead deputy, their captain. It's a sh it's a sheriff's department in Compton that they contract with. And so they've said that they're going to they're going to up their presence on Friday, mm -hmm. Saturday and Sundays when these things typically happen. But it makes you wonder how this even came to be, that people think that they can just take over and and start acting however they want. And really interesting conversation on The Morning Answer. My co-host is Grant Stinchfield. And he said, you know, I think these lessons were taught during the BLM protests where people were allowed to burn yeah. things. They were allowed. They thought it was a right given to them because they were angry about something. So instead of funneling the anger into something positive, we have created these negative behaviors and I think he's absolutely right that people but it's think also now the specific, that's exactly right. And they, they do can go in and destroy they, stuff because they know there won't be consequences. And it's a combination, I think, of the the kind of enforcement, you know, the, the enforcement mentality and the, and the kind of, um, you know, the, the 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 kind of operational 
guidelines that the yeah. police are under from the police, which comes from the police, from the chief. And and they say, well, just don't do this. Don't don't enforce that. Then you have the consequence of the, you know, all the Gascon policy changes. Uh-huh. Well, we won't prosecute this. We won't charge this. We won't charge that. That reduces it. I think there, then there's legislation as well. Like I'm, I was just reading about the 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 impact of the is it loitering you know the the the, the um, reducing the penalties for or, or downgrading loitering as an right offense. yeah so that has has it led to an explosion of prostitution and and all these other things because they again they're they're all driven by ideology the the the, the idea behind that I think that was a Scott Weiner thing which was to do with protecting LG you know trans women on the street or you know so f- I don't want anyone to be hurt right so we want to protect everyone but you 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 do this for one very narrow reason and then the consequence for everyone is a complete breakdown including in, the communities exactly. that they they were looking for the help i mean what's ridiculous is that Compton is a primarily minority driven area of Los Angeles and you had during that summer, during 2020, after George Floyd, you had minority groups coming out saying, we need to do better. We need to be better. Well, then why go into these communities and destroy them? To have the mayor of Compton say, you know what, we're not doing this anymore. It's very I, I'm interesting sure that she's seeing... not a right winger. She's coming no. forward. These citizens are coming forward. This one woman, I mean, heartbreaking story in Compton. There was another takeover in February. She said her brother died, and the, these people, these looters, these agitators, they, they get around the guy that's dying and sit and laugh at him as he's dying. And this is her brother. This is someone that lives in that community. Yeah, it's just really disgusting. It's I mean, inhumane. And some of the video from Chicago in particular, I've just been catching up on it all. I mean, it's that incredible. Woman, but, you know, it's just like it's almost like a... You, you, like, like well, it's like a movie. Like, like someone sort of, you know, crafted it to be frightening. Right. Um, it's really unbelievable. And but one other thing I'll just mention quickly on this, and then we'll talk, uh, end on the Senate race. Is, <laughs> I mean, you're right about the, you know, pe- the people just saying, look, we've gone too far. And I was really struck by a very strong statement I just saw from um, Matt Mahan, who's the new mayor of San Jose uh-huh. up in the Bay Area where I live. Um, and he said just very clearly, I think he said, let me say this very clearly, San, uh, San Jose will not turn into San Francisco with crime and homelessness. People deserve a community that is safe and, and orderly or something, you know, like yes. a really strong statement, because I think people, that's what they expect. And it it isn't, shouldn't and he's be a political. You know, right. exactly, it's shouldn't it's exactly. not political. It used to be that everybody could agree we wanted safe communities. And now it yeah. seems like you're making a political statement if you feel like that. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's get to the politics then of this Senate race. So let's just set it up with the with the latest developments. So you have <laughs> Diane Feinstein. Now they're all. That's a sort of huge fight because they're all trying to get her out. And, and interestingly, it has turned into a kind of gender based thing where you have the female. I was just reading about this as more female members of the Senate saying, "Well, if this was a man, you wouldn't be calling on him to 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 quit just because of an illness." Uh-huh. So there's a sort of gender thing going on. You had Ro Khanna, who I you know like very much. He's been on the show. Um, you don't agree with his policies, but I think, you know, he's a decent guy. And and he was the first to call for Dianne Feinstein to be to resign, right, not wait till the election at the end of next year. Then you had. Um, uh, but then everyone pointed out, well, hang on a second. If he if she did resign, yeah. then Newsom, Gavin Newsom gets to appoint an interim senator. 
and it just happens to be the case that uh, Ro Khanna is co-chair of the campaign for Barbara <laughs> Lee, who is one of the three Democrats running for the seat. And it also happens to be there. She's a black woman for the Bay Area. And it, and, and it turns out that Gavin Newsom has promised, uh, if he was to appoint anyone, that it would be a black woman. So, uh, but surprise, surprise. But this is all surprise. a coincidence. Exactly. What are you trying to so say? There's that. And then the other one, which is brilliant, is the Katie Porter latest oh. which i just loved which i just because it's so i mean i'm it's not of course it's very you know all violence is awful but she's been <laughs> i just i can barely say it she, so her so so the 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 uh, what was it a restraining order was probably her ex-husband yeah. katie port accusing her of being violent and abusive and the particular detail that i don't know if you all followed this which was um he accused her Again, this is allegations in a messy divorce, so let's just get that clear. But I mean, who would make this detail? Messy being the But he, she threw, she tipped a bowl of steaming, boiling, steaming potatoes on his head as part of the violence. I think we should start calling her Spuds McKenzie. What do you think? It's just amazing. And so I just think, who would make that up? I mean, it's such a sort of like weird. And also, he, I think he pointed out that he doesn't, you know, and I feel for him, right? He doesn't have any hair. So it yeah. really hurt. When you it have really the hurt. Point. There was no buffer. And um, yeah, the latest report about Katie Porter, I know we laugh, and it probably for this poor guy, I guess, I don't know if he's a poor guy or not, but for this guy, it probably wasn't all that funny. But holy smokes, you can't make this stuff up. And it's so on brand with how she presents herself. Yeah. So you kind of can see that she would berate him and throw potatoes over his head. And apparently, according to his story, she wouldn't let him have a cell phone because he was too blanking stupid to figure out how to use it. <laughs> Yeah, can we call so it her... sounds like yes. a happy marriage, you know. <laughs> exactly, what a disaster! And then you have Shifty Schiff, which, which I, you know, I think is the real. It looks like he's he's running away with it in terms of well, the race. So he's the real guy. That's so why the quick... pressure on DiFi, I think, right? That's why they want to get Barbara Lee in, I think, or at least Rokana, who's leading the effort in this state. Look, I love that Diane Feinstein can't confirm these crazy wackadoodle judges, but I also, in all seriousness. She's an institution in our state of California. She should I be able to this. leave. I've said this. I've said when this. she wants to leave. There's an. I. I that's a, a serious point, and I completely agree with it. And I've said it, you know, before, which is that she really is an amazing person. She, you know, whatever you think of her policies, and actually, she really counts as reasonable and moderate these days uh-huh. in the Democratic Party. But there's this a brilliant book, The Season of the Witch, which I read about this. This sort of I was trying to learn about California and the history of particularly San Francisco, through the kind of late 60s through to the mid 70s. And it was just this incredibly turbulent time in the city with with all sorts of things, you know, from the summer of love to Altamont and the disaster there and 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 the, uh, you know, what what were they called? The Kool-Aid, guy, you know, the Jonestown massacre, you know, like yeah. really sort of heavy stuff going on in the city, you know, the, the sort of terrorism and kidnappings and, you know, really bad stuff. The city felt like it was cracking up and falling apart. And, and then you had the assassination of the mayor of Moscone and uh-huh. Harvey Milk. It was like really, really bad. And then, you know, she, it, the, the ending of the book, I'm not, you know, it's no sort of spoiler alert, but she, she comes in as mayor, having uh-huh. been on the board of supervisors, Diane Feinstein, and just really turns it all around and acts as this incredible leader for the city and brings it back and turns it around and gets, gets things, you know, settled down and is a really inspiring leader. Plus, when you read about how she started off in politics and how she was really kind of engaged at the community level and was sensible and trying to, you know, she's a really, and as you say, an, an important leader for all sorts of causes. And I think it's disgusting to be to treat her like this. And I think they are right well, to say. And by the way, it's not just, a, we're not just guessing that they wouldn't treat a man like that because we, we can see with Biden, I mean, like, exactly. who, what are they? Not, no one's, you know, they, they're quite the opposite. They're all getting behind him for a second term.
the guy that just came out in Ireland and said, let's go out together and lick the world. I mean, this is a guy that is sitting in the White House. Yes. You have John Fetterman, who is suffering from the the results of a stroke, who uh, was given eight weeks to go to to go to rehab for depression and yes. not a blink. Now, I do understand that when you run for office and you are elected, you should deliver for your constituents. But it should be up to those constituents to say if we yes. want her to go or not. And you haven't heard a peep from the people of California. These are all political operatives who are exactly mad right. because she can't get things done. So finally, just very quick thought. We've got Eric Early coming up. Uh -huh. um, I know you know Eric. Uh, your thoughts on him entering the Senate race on the Republican side. Well, I think it's really brave, but I'm glad he's there. I mean, my goodness, I was getting ready to throw myself off a building if I had to choose a vote between Katie Porter, Barbara Lee and Adam Schiff. So I'm glad that there is someone for Republicans to support. I do respect Eric Early a lot. I do think it's difficult for a Republican to win in California right now, especially for a Senate seat. But I think the great hope is that you can advance. He might advance very easily to a general election because you've got these three candidates that are going to be shredding yeah. people apart. And so it's possible that he could be a strong number two if he can, you know, get independents and Republicans together to turn out. I think it's possible. And it's, and it's a presidential yeah. election year. So there's going to be a higher turnout. I think there's a, look, if he can make it to number two and give us a choice and spread some messages around California about why leftist policies are failing, it's a win for me. Yeah, that's a really good analysis. And I would just add to it to say, Obviously, money is a huge issue for anyone sure. running in California. It's such a big state, all the media markets and so on. It's just very, uh -huh. very expensive. Those are the facts. The the Democrats have the union money guaranteed, the government union money and that corrupt relationship that they have. And actually, here's the thing I want to say was actually if Eric Early does get it, uh, does get to the final two, as you say, then uh, and if it's Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff is you know, nationally unpopular. So yes. I think quite a lot of money could be heading Eric Early's way just from all the people across the country who would want to stop um, Adam Schiff. We'll see. Eric Early thousand percent. Um, is coming up right um, after this. So, uh, Jen, great to see you as always. We'll see you, you next You too. Week. All right. Well, here he is, as promised, the man of the moment, newly announced candidate for the United States Senate for the great state of California. Eric Early joins us. Eric, we were just talking with uh, our mutual friend, Jen Horn. Um, and we were agreeing that actually you had a very good chance of getting to the final two in this race yeah. because you've got a divided, um, you know, and hotly contested uh, bunch of Democrats, uh, Democrat race on the other side. And then if you are in the final two, my point was, if as seems likely right now, uh, the person that you would be facing is Adam Schiff, he is so unpopular um, across the country mm -hmm. that you I can imagine a sort of avalanche of um, support coming your way just because people want to stop him. Well, Steve, I'll tell you, and that's I love Jen. It's great that you're talking to her beforehand. Uh, we absolutely have a great chance to end up in the top two in the primary. Uh, of course, you have these three far left Dems uh, mm -hmm. fighting against each other. And also, this is going to be likely a contested primary here. Uh, mm -hmm. for the presidential race, and that's going to bring yes. out lots of Republicans, and uh, and they're going to vote Republican. We're going to have a lot of Republican voters coming out in March. So, yeah, we think we have a great chance uh, in the primary, and we'll see how the top two would then end up. It very well could be that pathological psycho, frankly, Adam <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, that is just, a, uh, frankly, a very sick and twisted individual. I've, I've run against him before, Steve, 
down here in Congress two cycles ago, and uh, he's a bad dude. But I I'll tell you something. It's not out of the question that if I get in the top two, it's not out of the question that the the person, the other person in the top two may not be shipped. And by the oh. way, if it's not, that would mean right then and there, by the primary, that Adam Schiff is out of our United States government because he has walked away from the Congress. And so if he doesn't make it into the top two, which is also a possibility, frankly, even though the pundits don't think so right now, but I don't believe a lot of those pundits, uh, he's gone. That would be gone. And that would be one of the best days, uh, frankly, in the history of our country. I know. I mean, he really is a total disgrace. I said, I mean, for those who who, who missed it, um, uh, Eric, you joined me on my Fox show on Sunday. And of course, you know, there's there's never enough time. You know, we, yeah. it's just so, so short. That's the nature of, of, of TV news. But um, but the but we did talk about that. Um, and the fact that he is just I mean, he is such a disgrace. I mean, I try not to be partisan for the sake of it. Um, but when you have someone like that, I mean, he is so bitterly partisan. I mean, that's the truth about him. And he's totally dishonest. I mean, the lies that he has told, he's an absolute pathological liar. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, the media keeps sort of pumping him up and they never call him out on it. And he's a total disgrace. Also, he's lying about things that are really serious. You know, he's taking intelligence briefings and then totally distorting them, lying about them. Uh, you know, of the utmost seriousness, the things he lies about. You know, so true. That's one of the most despicable of the many despicable things about him. For years, he was the head of the House Intelligence Committee when the Democrats had control of the House of Representatives. So that allowed him to see all of the nation's most classified information. And when he'd come on TV and lie to all Americans about Donald Trump, whenever he'd be asked to show, you know, his quote unquote evidence of Russia collusion, which he told the nation over and over again, he had and he had seen, he would then say, well, it's classified. I can't show it to you. And he knew that he didn't have that information, which made him even more of a national disgrace. And as far as the vast majority of the mainstream media is still putting them on, putting him on, they know that he lies to them. And he lies to millions of Americans when they put him on the screen to talk to Americans. And yet, for some strange reason, they can't. They keep putting him on. And I'll tell you, Steve. Right before the uh, presidential 2020 presidential election, there's frankly, this would be if you were teaching a class on how to lie to all of America, uh, or a psychology class on what a pathological liar is like. This is about. <laughs> I, this was about. I know. This is about three weeks before the 2020 presidential election. Schiff comes on, he's on Wolf Blitzer's show, and he's talking about how the Hunter Biden laptop is clear Russian disinformation. Yeah. Schiff, of course, knows that it is he knows it's information. Not. It's it's actually completely accurate. And then he's going after Trump for bragging about or 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 talking about the fact that they have this evidence that that Joe Biden is uh, compromised. And Schiff then starts blaming Trump for propping up Vladimir Putin and Russian disinformation. It's one of the classic, classic uh, videos of all time of a pathological. It's amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. You're right. So let's just talk about what you'll be running on. Um, do you think that you'll be, I mean, you've just announced uh, within the last week, will you, as you go, I mean, I'm assuming you'll be going around the state and so on. Do you think your campaign will be focused on what's going wrong in California? Will it be more of a national focus? Obviously, the United States Senate, it's a federal position. Um, but on the other hand, 
so many of the issues that that people are motivated by particularly here in California, I would say uh, some of the, you know, the, the incredible far left extremism we're seeing from the Democrats here in California. Well, most of the issues that I'm focused on affect uh, all Californians and uh, and all of America, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I fight, as I say, I fight for all forgotten Americans. And I'm one of the forgotten Americans. And so I'm fighting for people, frankly, I'm a Republican, but I'm fighting for people across the political spectrum. Because there are tens of millions of good, decent, fair, honest Americans out there. And we have been completely overrun, frankly, and forgotten by this small, really relatively small, far left group that is in control of so many of the major institutions in our country, uh, that is in control of our state of California right now, that is in control of most of the media. And so every day we're being inundated with stuff that we just cannot believe that we're seeing. And and they don't want to hear from most Americans who are totally against this stuff. From, from putting uh, people born as males in our daughter's sports to opening the prison cells and letting the criminals run wild to opening our borders and letting over 5 million people rush in to allowing so much fentanyl that over 100,000 Americans, more than in the entire Vietnam War, have been killed by fentanyl and over and over again. So the issues we fight for, frankly, they absolutely touch all Californians and frankly, they touch all Americans. I, I mean, you put it very clearly, and it's so compelling. I mean, it really is. I mean, we know it's an uphill struggle in California, but that's why it's so important that people, you know, don't just give up. And that's why, I mean, it's great you're you're launching in plenty of time. Do you think that you'll have um, Republican um, opposition in the primary, or do you think you'll be the, you know, you'll have it your own way, as it were, just on that side? Well, you know, Steve, that's a great question. Uh, the answer is, is, I don't know, but I like to think the answer is no. You know, before I got in this race, we spoke to a lot of people about who the sort of usual suspects might have been that might have wanted to jump in this race with big Republican names, et cetera. And one by one, we would find out, no, they won't, they're not running for this. They're not running for over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so we finally jumped in, uh, you know, but you never know. I, 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 there could be some actor one day that jumps in and says, you want to be <laughs> yes. senator and call himself a Republican. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. But all I know is, you know, I do a lot of thinking about these things. I talk to my family, of course. I speak to a lot of people before I do it. And when I'm once I'm in, I'm in. And I'm in for this fight. And, uh, you know, that's what I am. I'm a fighter, Steve. And, and these people on the other side have figured me out by now. There's nothing that gets me down. And Americans like fighters. And we're going to get up one of these days and throw a haymaker and finally uh, start doing what we need to do to take back this state. So what what how are you going to get the message out? I saw you get, you know, a decent, you know, they, they, they covered your your announcement in the media. I saw, you know, you're on TV in L.A. because we, we did it on our show, of course. But, um, you know, what's the, so that one, one thing that's interesting, actually, you mentioned briefly the, the primaries in March next year, which is earlier than usual. And that will have a big impact on the turnout, won't it? Because it will be not just that there, it'll be a contested presidential race, but it will be very important you know the california vote will really matter and so that will help get people out but between now and then how how will you keep up the kind of uh visibility as it were well like i said uh the uh the march primary is going to get tremendous attention because this is a presidential election year 
And uh, it appears that there's going to be a heavily contested, uh, even Republican primary for president. And that's going to bring tons of attention to California. You know, thankfully, ever since I got in this race, and I've only been in this race, uh, I got in a week ago yesterday, and I've been getting great attention from uh, various uh, media sources all around the country. You know, mm -hmm. the usual suspects uh, attack me, uh, which is, uh, that's just the way it is. And if they want to attack me, bring it on, you know. And uh, But I've been getting, like, your great show and other great shows uh, have been uh, have been carrying me, and I I'm going to get plenty of attention around this state. We're going to be talking to anybody that wants to talk to me, and plus I'm going to be traveling up and down and all around this state. I love speaking yeah. to people. I love meeting the voters. I love talking to people, uh, hearing from people, hearing what their concerns are, telling them what I plan to do with this uh, with the state, and of course, fundraising as you know is massively important yes and uh and we're often running with that we've got uh you know we've got texts emails etc going on uh, all around the country direct mails about to start and uh you know hopefully we'll be raising enough funds so that when it comes time to do the uh the other kind of paid advertising that we're going to be able to do it you know when i ran against Schiff a couple years ago i raised four million dollars against that pathological one and uh wow. i expect that we're going to do uh, a good deal better now Eric Early. That's a, that's a, yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you, I'll, I'll make sure you get a chance to sort of tell everyone where to go. Because I look, I just want to endorse that. I mean, it's really, really important. I mean, people may not like to hear it, but it's just the truth that in a state, particularly in a state as big as ours, with all these different TV markets, you know, like what are you, with, with the fourth largest economy in the world, it's like a big deal. And reaching people, it just costs money. I mean, that's just a fact of life. And so I know that sometimes people, oh, here's another candidate asking for money. But, like, that's the way to do it. I mean, you, you need the money. That is absolutely right. Um, so let's just make sure everyone knows where to go if they want to give you money or send, support you in any other way. Just remind us of the, of the place for that. Well, thanks for asking, Steve. And it's ericearly.com, E-R-I-C-E-A-R-L-Y.com. You'll see where to donate on there. But as, you know, my, my wife reminded me the other day, she said, Eric, a lot of people wonder where does this money go when we donate? You know, she said, Eric, I know some people, I think when they press that donate button, the money goes off somewhere to Washington, D.C. and Nobody really knows, or most people don't. This is the way it works. First of all, every donation, no matter how small, is incredibly important because they add up. But what happens is, is I have a campaign treasurer. We have a campaign account. The minute you press that send button on the, uh, on the uh, website donation, it shows up on all of our phones immediately, goes right into our campaign uh, bank account. Our treasurer keeps track of everything. We know exactly, we treat this money as if it's grandma's money, okay? We, are in, we, we so respect our donors, and we treat it as frugally and carefully and conservatively as possible. And what happens is it adds up. And then when it, and, and on a campaign, there are huge expenses all along the way, which leads yeah. to the biggest expenses a couple months down the line of, of TV advertising, radio advertising. And so uh, now's the time to start doing it. And plus, much of the media looks at a candidate, how serious a candidate is, by seeing how much is in that candidate's bank account. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that they've raised for their campaign. So uh, you're great viewers. I cannot say it is not you cannot over describe frankly the importance of your donations please do it it's incredibly important 
And so what what happens? I mean, the, the other reason there's a lot of attention on this race now is because of this drama around the incumbent, around Senator Feinstein, Diane Feinstein, who the Democrats are trying to, you know, pretty pretty sort of, you know, inelegantly push out. I mean, you've got Ro Khanna uh, was the first to call for her directly to resign on the grounds of her not being able to perform her duties because she's sick and, and hasn't been in Washington and can't vote and things and whatever. He, of course, is the co-chair, I think, of the campaign of Barbara Lee, who's one of the three Democrats on the other side. Um, what what do you th- I mean? What happens if she does resign? Um, what's the how does that play out? Well, first of all, uh, I think Ro Khanna should shut his trap and uh, let let Diane Feinstein decide what she wants to do with her own life. Okay, she's been in politics a long time. I've rarely supported anything she's ever done. Maybe never supported anything she's ever done. But when people voted her into office, they knew that she had been around a while. She was getting up in age, and yet they voted her in office. Let her make that decision for herself. Uh, Ro Khanna, he's got a vested interest because, as you said, he uh, he's endorsed Barbara Lee, one of my three opponents. And frankly, if she doesn't have, you know, paintings of Fidel Castro and, and Karl Marx all around her house, I'd be somewhat stunned. And uh, so and 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 you ask what happens. And this is why I believe largely Ro Khanna's demand, you know, requiring this of, or demanding this of Diane Feinstein. Gavin Newsom is the one who appoints an interim uh, U.S. senator if somebody vacates office before the end of their term. Gavin Newsom, he only appoints people based on a color chart. He says, basically, you know, get me the color chart. I have to appoint somebody to fill an incredibly important position, and I will only choose somebody based on skin color. Uh, one of the, you know, he's one of the great racists of our day, of course, as are so many of the far left. Everything's about skin color to the far left. And he has said before that if he ever has to fill this position, he will fill it with a black woman. And Barbara Lee is the only black woman running. So Ro Khanna probably correctly believes that if uh, Feinstein retires early, his, uh, his, the person he endorses, uh, Barbara Lee, will get appointed. And that turns somebody basically into the equivalent of a pseudo-incumbent. And mm-hmm. it, it boosts their effort to ultimately get elected because Barbara Lee along with the rest of us, would still be up for election in the upcoming primary and, and then general election. So, uh, you know, that has a lot to do with what uh, Ro Khan is pushing for. And then, of course, there, as you know, Steve, there's a lot of concern about uh, the appointment of judges in D.C. And, and mm-hmm. that whole process has been frozen because uh, Diane Feinstein has taken a break from being on that committee there that appoints the uh, federal court judges. And uh, Joe Biden is trying to keep pushing through all of these far left federal court judges. And without Dianne Feinstein there to help vote him in, that process has stopped. And frankly, that's a very good thing for the entire country because, you know, I'm a practicing lawyer, run a great law firm, a nationally recognized law firm. And when you see these highly uh, political far left judges take the bench, it impacts it. Frankly, oh, it's a it huge deal. Yeah. In the United States. But it's interesting that they that they go down, you know, they, they sort of go on and on about lecturing everyone about democracy and whatever. But like, they, I mean, they could they, you could have a special election, couldn't you, for this set? You, you would, it doesn't have to. Other, other states, I think, do it that way. It's not required. And I've seen people like, I think Kevin Kiley is out. I think he said that he, he has some bill. I can't remember exactly the details to stop um, the governor appointing someone, that they should be chosen by the people always. 
Well, uh, we would always like to see the people appoint, but stat by by virtue of existing statute in this state, Newsom, uh, who is a you know an authoritarian by nature, frankly, would get the ability to appoint, and he's already done that, frankly. Yes. Uh, with the attorney general position. Padilla, yeah. With the secretary of state yeah. position. With the other senator in this state, they're all Newsom appointees, and that's right. We've got to stop that. And also, actually, let's remember, by the way, I mean, you're, you're, it's great. You're, it's such a great point to remind us of all of that. And, he, and, and where did he start with his uh, record of appointments? George Gascone. That was a Newsom appointment back in the day in San Francisco, wasn't it? It was up in San Francisco. And, you know, Gavin Newsom is the leader of the pack of this far left socialist at best socialist, although I subscribe to Mark Levin's term, American Marxist. Uh, he's the leader of the pack out here of this American Marxist band that runs this state. And he keeps filling uh, he keeps filling appointments with those same kind of people. And uh, and and that is why, for example, George Gascon who is one of these Soros, uh, you know, D.A.s. And he's all about protecting criminals and letting the law abiding uh, fend for ourselves out there. He's He's a terrible disaster, and this is all led by this Newsom. And I'll tell you, if Newsom runs for president, like I believe he's he's planning to do, regardless of what Biden does, uh, the rest of the country will be at, be able to see what a disaster Gavin. I mean, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? He's running around yelling at red states mm -hmm. over everything, while while he, you know, everything's collapsing. It's just a joke. Oh, it's a joke. I, I mean, Steve, you live in California. You see what happened. Our, for example, our schools in California were closed over one year longer than the schools in Florida and Texas. That was Gavin Newsom's doing. The damage that will do to our next generation of children is incalculable. And every single thing from the closing of businesses, putting people out of work, uh, that Newsom uh, did the forced vaccinations. If you didn't, if our first responders didn't get vaccinated, if our teachers didn't get vaccinated, they were just fired out here. So he's a disaster. And every single one of my opponents, you know, Schiff, Katie Porter, that's another beauty. Oh, yeah. Bar we haven't Barbara talked Lee. about her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the three <laughs> of them support in lockstep, like the sheep they are, this far left American Marxist, really domestic suicide of our nation. And that is what I'm fighting. You know, I fight for the forgotten Americans. And I'm fighting for this country. You know, Steve, I don't need what I'm doing here. You know, my, my wife and I, we have a blessed life. We have four kids, three dogs and a cat. I run a great law firm. Don't need this politics. But our country's under attack domestically yeah. and internationally. You know, my dad, he stepped up. He fought in the Marines. He, he was uh, a Marine in combat in North Korea, came back with a Purple Heart. Close family members of mine are in the military right now. And I can't sit back and stand back seeing what I see and knowing what I know and not step up to fight for our incredible country. Well, I think that's I think so many people will really relate to that um, in that sense that, 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 you know, things have gone so far in the wrong direction, particularly here in California. It's so extreme and people just are sick of it. They just want common sense, practical positive solutions to things not this end all you get from them this is far left ideology and I agree I mean it's interesting when we first moved here I've been here was it 11 years now and I'd hear people say things like 
um, you know, they'd maybe use the word communism or whatever in connection with the Democrats. And remember, my family are Hungarian. Both my parents are Hungarian. I know what communism is like. I've, I literally have seen it, and, and my family have been the victims of it. And I used to think it was a bit over the top. Um, but now, as the years go by, it's not over the top. I mean, I did a piece on, I mean, the way that they silence people, that is totally straight out. I have direct comparisons with the way that, you know, my, for example, my grandmother was pan punished by the communists for the great crime of allowing her daughter to escape to the West, my mother. Um, you know, when I was a kid walking around on the street, you know, like making jokes about the communists. As with my cousins, you know, my aunt that night had to sort of stop and tell me you can't say stuff like this in public because, you know, I could lose my job. That All that is happening now, here, um, for real. And and then the other point on, on the Marxism, I think, is exactly right. I mean, we've got, um, there's a piece that I did about two years ago on the, on the Fox show about the intellectual origins of wokeism. And it goes right back to the Marxist philosophers in the Frankfurt School in the 1920s who were absolutely thinking about, well, you know, why wasn't the, the, the kind of promise of the communist revolution, the workers' revolution, as Marx laid out, why didn't that happen organically? And the only place it did happen was Russia and it was violent. You know, why wasn't it inevitable, as Marx predicted? And they said, well, actually, it's not just economics, as Marx said. It's about these other things that the bourgeoisie used to keep the workers down. And the three things they focused on were faith, family and culture. And they said, right, we have to go after those things as well. And, and that's what they've been doing. And you see it, right? You see it in... In, in, you can trace it all back. And so I think that is not an exaggeration. People need to understand how serious it is. Steve, uh, I agree with every word you just said. Uh, you know, I fight for God, family, and country. And, uh, and I'm very serious about that. And there is going on in our country right now, there is an internal domestic takeover, all completely supported by my opponents in this race. There's something called the Long March of the Institutions. And yeah. they, for years, have walked through the major institutions in our country, both in government, outside government, and they've wrested control of so much of uh, what is going on in this nation right now. And there are tens of millions of Americans, I believe most Americans, frankly, see what is going on. We understand what is going on. And, and so many people feel powerless to stop it and are becoming so demoralized with what's going on in the country. And this crosses you know, party lines. And uh, yeah. this can be, we can win this battle. We are in a battle now. You know, our schools are are, are really indoctrination camps. Uh, you know, what's going on in our kids' schools, it's a big issue for me. I could talk about that for hours. I brought, I brought the first lawsuit in the nation about six years ago against critical race theory. Uh, we represent a great group of brave parents in Santa Barbara. We sued the Santa Barbara Unified School District and a couple others up there because they're refusing to let the parents see the uh, the uh, lesson plans. Mm -hmm. And we got it, and we were stunned. And frankly, I think we were one of the first to see this in-school indoctrination. Somebody on our team knew Betsy DeVos. She, we got it to her. She got it to President Trump. And it's one of the things that started what's going on to try and address this. But they are trying to shut us down. You know, yeah. We all know the tactics of the far left, Steve. And, and we have to, this is a time in our history right now where all Americans have to stay strong, be brave, and be courageous. Uh, I do believe we're going to get this back. And, uh, but it is going to take a fight. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a long time. But, uh, you know, uh, we need to step up and fight for this country again. And, uh, 
And that's why I'm here, Steve. I love this country. I do believe this race can be won. Schiff, Barbara Lee, and that other beauty, Katie Porter, well, there you go. Can't stand, they can't stand me because they are all pushing this far-left ideology to take down this country. So so let's just end it on a, on a more jolly note, because uh, I, I agree. It's very serious. The stakes are very high, and you laid it out very eloquently. But... But I have to say, Katie Porter, we haven't talked about her yet, but mm -hmm. honestly, she's not had the best start to her campaign. So she, the two, I mean, just in the last week, so the, uh, let's just, just quickly touch on this because it made me laugh so much. So first of all, so she, she, but she had a terrible time on Bill Maher. So she goes on Bill Maher's show, uh, which I'm assuming she thought would become a sort of favorable, you know, an, e an easy win for her. And she got completely torn apart by Bill Maher, by Piers Morgan, and exposed as, and, and, I, and I think was really flat-footed and on all the kind of issues and things like the, you know, like you mentioned earlier, um, uh, the sports issue uh, with, you know, with, with tra transgender people competing in sports and so on. She just had nothing to say um, and was just and, re and and just came across, I think, as, as, as very, very, you know, she's been to a certain extent built up by the media and was like, was really bad. And then the other thing, let's just end on this because it's brilliant. The the it, all the stories about her from her divorce. Okay, divorces can be messy. We know that. Um, her ex-husband, but these allegations are just hilarious. Uh, that she's violent and abusive. And the best part, if people haven't seen it, um, is that is apparently the dumping of the potatoes. So, so, so I don't know if we're allowed to call her Mrs. Potato Head, but apparently dumped a boil of steaming hot potatoes on her ex-husband's head. Okay. That's who's running for U.S. Senate. You know, the you, can't, you cannot make this stuff up, <laughs> you know, and I don't know the woman at all, but I just from afar, I watch her in action. And to me, she's one of your standard issue, rage-filled, angry, uh, <laughs> not good people that has a way of trying to project the opposite. So uh, she's one of the ones who are fighting. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Steve, I'm a fighter. That's what I do. And uh, and I'm just I love being in the arena and I'm glad I'm here. And I really appreciate you putting me on and early dot com. Need as much. There we are. As possible. I think I, sp I I think I spoke over that. Say the say the place again, the, where people can go. Yes. Eric early dot com. E-R-I-C E-A-R-L-Y dot com. Anything All right. Um, great to see you, Eric. Um, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Steve, I appreciate you and so many Americans do too. And so thank you so much for having me on. All right. There we go. That's Eric Early. He is running for U.S. Senate, um, as we've just been discussing. Hope you enjoyed that conversation on our earlier conversation with Jen, uh, as we often do. All the stories that are driving us all crazy, we cover them all. And if you enjoy them, make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell everyone about the show and we'll see you back here soon for the next episode of The Steve Hilton Show.